0: This is the Gartner Podcast for Supply Chain Leaders.
1: Hello, I'm Thomas O'Connor, and welcome to the Gartner Supply Chain Podcast, where I regularly sit down with some of Gartner's best thinkers, innovators, and leaders to share with you the most up-to-date strategic insights and tactical tips you need to drive supply chain success. And today we're exploring a challenge that practically every supply chain driven organization is facing. The constraints and what gartner calls supply chain gridlock of our industry something that 64 percent of gartner surveyed ceos expect to continue into 2023 and beyond given the importance of this topic i'm sure it comes as little surprise that we're continuously publishing numerous research pieces that tie to the concept of supply chain gridlock and constraints clients i strongly encourage you to check them out on gartner.com joining me though today to discuss this critical topic are two of our leading experts Joanne Joliet and Susie Petruzic, who have both published on the topic. Joanne and Susie, it's great to have you joining us today.
0: Hey, Thomas. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to the discussion.
2: Thanks, Thomas. It's great to be here.
1: Brilliant. So, Joanne, if you don't mind, I'd like to kick things off with you with some fundamentals around this topic, this idea of supply chain gridlock specifically. We've been using this terminology for a few months now. When we use it here at Gartner, could you give a bit of insight as to how we're defining it and what's the scope of activities and impacts that we're really talking about when we use this terminology supply chain gridlock?
0: Sure, absolutely. Many think of a traffic jam when they hear the term gridlock. However, from our perspective, supply chain gridlock is much more than port congestion and container shortages in a supply chain traffic jam. Similarly, though, supply chain gridlock is caused by events that are happening in one area, uh, which cause activity to grind to a halt in other areas. It's a compounded effect that creates that gridlock. In a traffic jam, it could be weather, could be an accident, a protest, or potentially all three that stops that movement. The supply chain gridlock we are experiencing is also caused by compounded events, including climate change, natural disasters, global health issues, political policies, trade and tariffs, and other events like accidents. These events have contributed uh, to a shortage of raw materials, a shortage of labor, and a shortage of energy, which have caused supply chains to grind to a halt or to be in a gridlock state. This is impacting the end-to-end supply chain from planning to sourcing to manufacturing and distribution.
1: Awesome. So, so, Joanne, I get what you're saying there, and, and we're all experiencing this, right? We, we've all heard about the various different challenges in terms of container shortages, the shortages in terms of raw materials, challenges when it comes to energy supply and, and these sorts of things. But I want to now pivot the discussion over to Susie, if it's okay, and come at you with this idea of, you know, okay, so... We get there's this gridlock that's happening, but the reality is that supply chains have always been dealing with different constraints or challenges beyond COVID. What else has happened? What's changed? And why do we have to approach this gridlock problem differently to how we've approached supply chain constraint challenges in the past?
2: Sure, Thomas. It's a great question. In our disruption shaping research last year, our survey data showed a lot of what Joanne just referred to. Supply chains are experiencing five major disruptions on average in a year. That's five. When we talked with our clients, what we heard from them was that aside from COVID, none of those disruptions was particularly peculiar or difficult in and of itself to respond to. Instead, it was the cadence of the disruptions. Supply chain leaders couldn't seem to catch their breaths from a single risk event before another one was already disrupting their organizations. So supply chain risk management plans traditionally have treated these events as unlikely and logically, therefore, have really only planned for a few of them, with the important assumption that the supply chain would have a chance to get back to full recovery and full readiness for the next disruption before it happened. But in this current environment, supply chains can no longer rely on having enough time to get to recovery. And over the past few years, the cadence of these events has forced them into a reactive posture because they can't ever get to that recovery. With COVID and with larger and larger climate change events, the new reality is that it's not just your supply chain, right? it's most supply chains. So there's now a generalized drawdown in readiness for risk resulting in intense competition to rebuild so that each and every new disruption has more and more downstream effects then that same disruption would have had just a few years ago. If it was just a single supply chain and that supply chain had enough time to recover, the old playbook would work great as it has in the past. But this world where most supply chains are trying to fully recover from a lot of events, that playbook is really insufficient. Now, supply chains really need to think about segmenting their constraint strategies. They need their old strategy to deal with what are likely to be temporary and isolated constraints, but they do need another playbook to help them identify and then deal with what are likely to be semi-permanent or permanent and widespread constraints.
1: Really interesting there, Susie, and I, I liked how you put it around temporary and isolated constraints versus those more longer-term uh, constraints that you were just you were just referencing. And it's really important to think about that this supply chain gridlock that we're all going through isn't just um, things which are going to either be permanent or going to be uh, temporary, but a combination of the two. And I think that that's a nice. Again, um, topic maybe, Joanne, you could step in here and, and give a bit of insight as to what we're seeing in terms of actions that leaders are taking around these temporary, isolated or near-term constraints that they're being faced with and how they're overcoming them to, to drive their, their business back to, uh, I guess, the performance levels that the business expects of their supply chain organizations or at least near enough.
0: Sure, absolutely. You know, when you think about the near-term, uh, reaction and response to what's happening and to Susie's comments that, you know, Supply chains and supply chain leaders cannot catch their breath. That that's causing these leaders to leverage all options for agility uh, to find alternates for the constraint caused by the gridlock it, across every area. As we've already mentioned, you know this is these are some examples, but not exhaustive. Companies are exploring innovation. Right, we've seen new business models emerge. We've seen companies, you know, for example, charter their own vessels in order to have better control over transportation and, and transport from from other parts of the world. We've seen greater collaboration, so unlikely partnerships uh, where companies are coming together to share their resources, potentially harness their power of influence to, to create the change that they need to uh, drive uh, flow within the supply chains. Certainly companies are changing their product portfolios and looking at alternates for raw materials, everything from plastics to urea uh, to other uh, you know components within their products and, and finished products as well. Um, and lastly, you know companies are looking at their supplier portfolios, renegotiating those contracts, looking at areas of opportunity and collaboration within those uh, to essentially diversify and and or shorten their supply chains um, closer to the customer. You know, we, we've all felt this as individuals, right? If we, if we go back to 2020 and we look at the infamous toilet paper shortage, you know, we all were scrambling, um, similar to how supply chains have, have been operating in, in the last several uh, months to, to a year to say, what are our options for other products? You know, what what innovation can we use to remediate the shortage of toilet paper? Or, you know, where can I collaborate? Who can share with me? Who has more roles than I do? Um, you know, I was probably the only person in, in the world that, you know, was down to my last two roles because I, I was not hoarding. You know, but, you know, we as consumers, we're looking at, you know, what's the product portfolio? Can I use, you know, facial tissue or can I use baby wipes to get out of this, this pickle? And then lastly, you know, where else can I get it than my typical retailer? So, you know, similar to, to how we responded as consumers, um, when we uh, sustain a shortage, we're seeing that same behavior extrapolated to, to our global supply chains.
1: I think really interesting to hear around those near term constraints, those temporary isolated um, issues and how supply chains have been dealing with them. But it does bring us to the other side of the coin. And and Susie, I'd love to bring you back in here, if you don't mind, um, to to talk a bit more around those longer term constraints and how businesses need to be acting and thinking about these longer term constraints that are becoming more prevalent and that are needs to be considered and um, actioned within our our organizations as well. So what should CSCOs be dealing with and and acting on um, to overcome these longer term constraints that we're seeing?
2: Sure, Thomas. Yeah. So we're recommending that CSCOs take specific actions today with that focus on ensuring that they get their organizations out of this vicious cycle in the future, Across the various supply chain functions, their teams are going to have to adjust their planning approaches and cycles, they're going to have to change the way they prioritize sourcing activities, they're going to have to innovate on manufacturing capabilities, potentially even for their customers and suppliers, and they're going to have to adjust for transport and delivery. To do all of those things, though, they are going to need their CSEO support. And we think that support comes in really two main ways. They need to drive collaboration and they need to empower employees to make the right decisions under these new conditions. So first, CSEOs will have to drive collaboration across three fronts with internal stakeholders, customers, and ecosystem partners to open up room and motivation for collaboration and communication. A lot of our clients are already collaborating with commercial partners to make tough decisions to allocate products and to support commercial partners and having sometimes difficult conversations with their customers. But they may need to have direct conversations with their customers and their customers' supply chains. They'll have to collaborate with them potentially about redesigning products or equipment or about sharing their inventory data or even their capacity. Across the ecosystem, they may want to enable collective negotiation with suppliers or enable ecosystem data sharing. What we're really trying to emphasize here with our clients is that the CSEO is uniquely positioned to open up lanes for collaboration and communication and to remove obstacles for their teams. They can really support these conversations lower in the organization by having them first with their own peers inside and outside their organization. The next thing CSCOs will have to do is to empower their teams. And we think that there are really two ways to do that. They need to adjust their metrics and they need to help their teams make appropriate decisions. On the metrics front, CSCOs may want to think about prioritizing certainty metrics over accuracy and efficiency metrics. So to take an example, time to survive or time to recover probability of execution and consumption versus allocation for different customers become important indicators that will ensure your teams are focused on the right activities under constraint. On the other hand, a focus on forecast accuracy, production plan attainment, or asset utilization might actually be preventing your teams from pursuing the right activities under widespread constraint, and worse, they could actually lead to lower team morale in already difficult times. The second thing is to help teams make those decisions, and there are really a couple of things the CSCO can and should be doing. One is you need to help your team define the trigger points for identifying whether they're confronted with a temporary and isolated constraint or if what they think they're dealing with is a semi-permanent or widespread one. And once they've sort of figured out what that trigger point is, then they need to help their teams define new principles to govern the decisions for both of those unique situations. And then lastly, they need to think about whether or not the meeting architecture they have supporting their teams and their organizations needs to be adjusted for these different situations. Are they sure that they have the right people in the room for this new decision-making in these novel situations? Are you setting your teams up for success? under these new situations. Again, we see the CSEO is uniquely positioned to lead and support their team's efforts. Their teams will need to make bold and necessary changes to lift their organizations out of this very difficult cycle, six to nine months or further out from now. And the CSEO can drive collaboration and empower them to do just that.
1: Awesome Susie, really appreciate that. Very, very interesting. And um, just to make sure our listeners do understand what we're talking about when we're talking about these longer term constraints, would you mind just um, reiterating a few of those different examples of longer term constraints for the audience?
2: Sure. I mean, I think what, what you can imagine is a constraint that uh, any organization might have experienced before. So you have a supplier that experiences a bankruptcy, or you have a supplier that experiences you know, some sort of, of loss in, a, in, in any particular asset, and, and, and you no longer have that supply available. The traditional playbook would sort of help you understand how can you find different suppliers? How can you find different sources? How can you adjust your timelines, your lead times in order to bridge that gap? But what we're seeing today is that we we have these projections for different inputs to the supply chain that are projected to be severely constrained for the next 12 to 18 months. And those are the ones that we know about. In other cases, there are there's so much volatility in the market where a lot of Organizations are unsure where these constraints that are longer term are going to pop up. Because we are under such severe constraints right now, many organizations are really doubling down on innovation. And so what we're seeing is that organizations are experiencing very much unexpected constraints because they're coming into competition with organizations that are now looking beyond the normal and out to the more innovative solutions in order to get what their customers need for them. So it's a period marked by extreme volatility that may last longer than what the typical traditional band aids are able to cover.
1: Awesome. Thank you very much for that one, Susie. Really appreciate it. And it's a, it's a, certainly fascinating time that we're all operating in and, and trying to deal with. And it brings me to what's probably my final question for you both today, uh, Joanne and Susie, and that's this idea of, you know, we've talked about near-term constraints, we've talked about long-term constraints, we've talked about supply chain gridlock today, and that it's going to be lasting for, for some time to come, right? Uh, our CEO survey expecting it to last into 2023 and beyond at least almost two thirds of CEO respondents expecting that. Um, But I wanna come back to this idea of if you were to summarize your message for our listeners in terms of what they need to be doing to deal with our gridlock supply chains, what would be the core of your message that you're sending out there? Maybe Joanne, you, you could go first.
0: Sure, absolutely. You know, I, I did speak mainly on the current gridlock situation, but disruption has and will continue. Uh, the contributing factors that will, will change, as I mentioned at the start of the call, you know, between natural disasters and climate change and policy and, and trade and tariffs. But the, the disruption will materialize based on the different combinations of of uh, those factors. And so CSCOs and supply chain leaders need to build their supply chains to be better positioned for that future disruption. You know, tactically, how you handle raw material shortage or labor shortage today will be very similar to how you handle that in the future. Uh, To Susie's point, the the people, process and technology that are required to change today uh, to be better positioned for that is critical. It, It doesn't matter what you sell if your supply chain can't get it there. Whether that's, you know, in manufacturing, whether that's in healthcare, whether that's in retail, your supply chain is the heartbeat of your business. Um, So supply chains not only need to be able to respond, but to anticipate and potentially preempt that disruption uh, based on the agility that needs to be embedded from end to end. Uh, So that would be my counsel uh, to our listeners as we close. Susie? Yeah,
2: I think, you know, that sensing and and signaling, understanding what's on the horizon is an extremely important aspect. So I I absolutely agree with Joanne. I think another important thing for CSEOs is to remember that the traditional playbook might help them bridge the gap for some of these temporary and isolated constraints. But without another playbook that requires action today, supply chains will be in a similar reactive and less than stable position in six to nine months or beyond. So our recommendation is that CSCOs should start taking some of these actions today so that they can lift their organizations out of some of that instability at that longer term horizon. We're not talking about activities that you should put off for later. What we're really trying to advise our clients is that you have to deal with the short term and the longer term situation right now. It's an uncomfortable position to be in, but we really think that in order to lift out of this reactive posture, in six to nine months' time, some of these activities really are important for CSEOs to take today.
1: Cool. Sounds like a, a lot of work for the the chief supply chain officers, uh, supply chain leaders, and, and others across supply chain organizations. But uh, the reality of our world, I guess, in in supply chain, we are uh, often asked to do the the big things, the challenging things, and. Um, Joanne, Susie, I, I really appreciate the sharing today, really appreciate you joining us. And so thank you so much for for giving us this insight into our current gridlocked environment, which unfortunately we do expect to continue for, for some time yet. Now for listeners, I, I know this is a huge topic and Here at Gartner, we've got a lot of research published on these topics, but I'd recommend for Gartner clients, please do go to gartner.com and simply insert the terminology supply chain gridlock or supply chain constraints, and you will see a range of our different research on these topics for you. So please go to gartner.com and check that research out or simply engage some of our Gartner analysts via inquiry on these important topics. Finally, if you've enjoyed our show, please be sure to go to Gartner.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you've listened to our podcast today and give us a five-star rating, as well as subscribe to make sure you're notified once our next podcast is released. Thanks again for joining us today. My name's Thomas O'Connor, stay safe, and I can't wait to be speaking with you all again on our next episode. Goodbye. Please
0: subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.